Let's start with a word of prayer. And Father, we are here because of you. We are here because your spirit has opened our eyes to the truth of who you are and what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. We are here gathered together as a family in his name. We pray, Lord, for your spirit to be here among us, filling us up, to overflowing. That as as we are here and sharing with each other, we, we would build each other up and encourage one another. And Lord, as we would go out from this place, the, the, our time with you would be evident in who we are. Lord, we praise you for doing this amongst us and gathering us here. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Those are, those are some bold words, aren't they? As David recounts these to us, and he says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. And he sees himself as this man who has considered the poor, and, and he trusts that the Lord, because of his consideration of the poor, the Lord will see him through the day of trouble, the Lord will protect him, the Lord will call him blessed, yada, yada, yada. And, and then he even goes so far as to say, you have upheld me because of My integrity. David's own integrity has upheld him in the eyes of God. Those are some bold words, aren't they? In the Old Testament, there was a direct correlation between Israel's devotion to God and the physical blessings that they would receive from him. Deuteronomy chapter 28 
If you were to read the whole thing, you'd see this whole list of blessings and this whole list of cursings for uh, depending upon if they were obedient or disobedient to God. Deuteronomy 28, just the first couple of verses says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So for all of Israel in the Old Testament, according to the law, if they obeyed, they would be blessed. If they considered the poor, they would be considered in the eyes of God. If they had integrity, then God would uphold them. Deuteronomy 28.15 reminds them that if they are disobedient, says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So they received blessing for obedience and they received cursing for disobedience. And on the surface of our, our psalm tonight, King David is telling us of his poor situation. He is sick. Perhaps sick even close to death, he is so sick. But because he himself has been gracious to the poor, and because he has had integrity in this, because he has obeyed God, he can then count upon God to pour out his grace upon him, healing him and restoring him. We know that in accord with the book of Hebrews, all of the law, all of the Old Testament religion and, and rites that belonged to Israel were a foreshadowing. They were a type of what has been prepared for us. They were an earthly example of a greater spiritual reality. As David looked upon himself as the gracious one in this psalm, expecting God's blessings, and as David saw himself also as the poor person in this psalm who is sick on his deathbed, we're also going to see ourselves as both the gracious and poor person in this psalm. But we're going to look at it all through that lens of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have that's been expressed to us in the Old Testament and the New Testament as it's worked itself out, as God worked it out through his Son. Verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. These are verses that picture a gracious person. Just as God's word calls us as his people to be gracious. This gracious person considers the poor. And it's not just a, a passing thought of, hmm, there, there are poor people out there, and, and Lord, I, I pray that they would be provided for today. No, it's, it's a, it, when they consider the poor, they go out and they do something about it. That's the consideration of which he speaks. He cares for them. He provides for them. He is gracious, giving them things that they cannot provide for themselves in their poor situation. 
David reminds us that God has his eye upon that gracious person. It reminded me as I was studying of, of a certain parable that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 18. Why don't you flip over there? Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 21. Matthew 18, 21 and following says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Lord, how, many, how, how gracious do I have to be? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God gives grace to the gracious. He forgives the forgiving. But even as we read that parable, who was it that did the initial forgiving? Who was it that, that established that relationship of forgiveness and graciousness to others? It was the master, wasn't it? It was God, Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of grace in our lives, isn't he? We are gracious because he has first been gracious to us, aren't we? Apart from him, not only, only are we ungracious, we are downright sinful, aren't we? Verse 4, it says, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. When we think about it, who really is the poor person in this psalm? We are. There are things that we cannot afford for ourselves, aren't there? And we need somebody to provide those things for us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Are we gracious in and of ourselves? No. Are we naturally forgiving? No. Do we have integrity from the day we were born until this day in and of ourselves? Because of my integrity, should I expect God to hold me up? I'm not going to rely on my integrity. I guarantee you that. No. So if we are the poor person here as well, who is the gracious one in this psalm? David tells us of his earthly situation, and we see in this ourselves that Jesus Christ is our gracious one, isn't he? What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a a free gift for the benefit of someone else, just like blessed is the one who considers the poor, the poor person who can't provide that for themselves, and this person comes in and blesses them, is gracious to them, gives to them, provides for them. God is the one who considers the poor for their benefit. The one who delivers him in the day of trouble Second half of verse 1 says, In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. He washes away our sin, washes away our debt, and the judgment that would come with it. Over and over again throughout Scripture, the day of the Lord is considered a day of wrath when sin is judged, and it's considered a day of trouble. And it is from that day that we, as Christians, through Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross, that we have been delivered from that day of trouble. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Verse 2, the Lord protects him. Lord protects us and keeps us alive, doesn't he? Giving us not only life on this earth, not only a washing away of our sins so that we can have a few good days here on earth, but, but everlasting life eternal life in his presence promised in his resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Our salvation secure. We are sealed by his Holy Spirit and there is no one who can take us out of his hand according to his own words. In him we are called blessed. Verse 2 says the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He didn't leave one out every spiritual blessing he's given to us. We can count on them. We're called blessed in the land and you do not give him up 
to the will of his enemies. Last part of verse 2. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. What is our greatest enemy? The one enemy we will all face, regardless of, of age, race, nationality, tax payments, whatever, we will all face death, won't we? The greatest enemy of all of us. But he does not give us up to our enemies of the death and the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20 through 26 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies at his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. Verse 3. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health, not partial health, full health. Even better, giving us bodies that are new and fresh and able to dwell in the presence of God forever. On that Mount Sinai, there was a line drawn and nobody could approach that mountain because if anybody dared to stand in the holy presence of God, they would be de- they'd die, they would perish. No one can stand in the presence of God and live. And yet again, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are told that we will receive bodies that are new and able to live with him in his presence forever. Not just restored health in these dysfunctional bodies. Perfect health in a new body. And in our sin, we need his grace, don't we? If we are to receive everlasting life, if we are to be raised up, as David requests in verse 10, if we are to be in his presence forever, as it states in verse 12, You have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. If that's to be the case, we are the ones who need to cry out according to verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. We need God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense, something we could not have bought for ourselves, but could only be purchased by the blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ. We need his unmerited favor because we have all sinned and fallen short of his perfect glory. And he showed us that unmerited favor when he came to this earth. God took on the flesh just like you and I have 
and lived out that life with all the sufferings that we suffer with, that he would be a sympathetic, perfect Savior, able to understand everything that we go through, everything we endure. He endured it. In verses 5 through 12 of this psalm, did you, did you see the life of Christ? David is a type or a foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. In the Psalms given to us through David, we have already seen the prophetic words about the Messiah in in Psalm 22 when we studied that Psalm. We saw very clearly David was speaking to his own life, and yet he gave us a very clear prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus, didn't he? You can read that one later again. Psalm 22, we studied it, studied it a few weeks back. And now in Psalm 41, we see the life of Christ through David again. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. After Jesus healed a man's withered hand and showed that grace, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? Verse 6. And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come and they test him and and they demand signs. In Matthew chapter 22, the Sadducees try to trap him with a question about the resurrection. And the Pharisees try to trap him with other questions. Who is, uh, what is the greatest commandment? What will he say to that one? How can we get him with that question after he passed that, who is, whose son is the Christ? What will he say about that? Because if he says the Christ is God's son and he claims to be the Christ, then he's blaspheming, right? We'll catch him. And they try and trap him, uttering empty words while their hearts gathered iniquity. Verse 7, all who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 3 through 5, says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. In that same chapter, verses 14 to 16, Judas goes to the chief priests in secret, whispering behind his back and imagining the worst for him. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. Verse 8, they say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 to 42 And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. 
he cannot save himself. A deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Matthew 26, verses 20 to 23. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The book of John mentions bread, a morsel of bread. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Verse 10, But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. Matthew chapters 27 and 28. The Pharisees recall how Jesus said that he would rise again, so they post guards at the tomb. Chapter 28, verses 2 and 6, it says, And behold... 2 through 6. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. By this I know you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me, verse 12. Because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Our Lord and Savior, according to the book of Hebrews, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He had an integrity all his own. And Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 reminds us. And long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Why did Jesus go through all this? Why did Jesus maintain his integrity? Why did Jesus suffer through all of these things? was in order that his grace could be poured out on such as I. On all of us. Anyone who would turn to him by faith. 
that his righteousness would become our righteousness. That his integrity would become our integrity. David in this psalm claims grace and integrity. And we know that a righteousness that deserves God's attention is not our own. But David looked forward. David looked forward to the grace he would receive in the Messiah, in the Christ. Peter tells us in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature, of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has granted to us that we should partake in his divine nature. Shocking words. Uh, That because of Christ's death and resurrection, because of his grace to us, we would have a righteousness and an integrity that is not our own, but of him. Free gifts bestowed upon the undeserving for our benefit. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Gifts that cleanse away our sin and bring us the hope of eternal life, which we could not and would not have garnered for ourselves. Our Savior endured in order that, having received his righteousness by grace, we too could say, verse 11, By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Do we find ourselves poor? Have we found ourselves poor? Do we understand our sin? Do we realize our need for a Savior? Having confessed our sin, have we been forgiven? Having been forgiven, do we now find ourselves being gracious, forgiving as we have been forgiven? David looked forward by faith to Christ and the hope that was in him. We look back by faith to Christ and the hope that he gives us to receive all the promises of salvation, that integrity imparted to us, that righteousness imparted to us, that graciousness given to us at the cross. Praise God, he's given us these things. And we can walk with a firm confidence before God. Not because of our graciousness or integrity, but because of his given to us. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your love for us. We praise you for the integrity you impart to us. The righteousness given to us through the death and resurrection of your son. How dare we to say that we are partakers 
in the divine nature, but Lord, it is you and your word who has said that to us, that we can have a joy unspeakable in your grace given to us. Pray, Lord, we would walk in that grace as we go from here, that we would forgive as we've been forgiven, that we would love as we have been loved. Help us to be ambassadors of who you are. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.